This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. Okay, so Josh, hello. Hello. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah. This episode was your idea. You yeah. hit me up <laughs> and you were like, we should talk about the horror elements of Kojima games. Well, yeah, I saw you were doing uh, Castlevania stuff and I was like, I knew you like Kojima. So I was just like, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because like you being on the show is like a quantum inevitability because we <laughs> we are now like entangled between bands yeah which i realized yesterday like i was just thinking about this and i was like so our bass player joined your band playing guitar yep. and your bass player <laughs> joined my band it's very incestuous playing guitar <laughs> <laughs> and so now it's like yeah we're like sister bands now like for real so that's yeah. fun yeah oh yeah yeah and i'm a big fan of Serac and uh you guys just put out a new song and that yeah. song is fucking awesome i'm really i'm really happy with that that's the first song i wrote for aziza and then it just sat for a long time and then i made Serac learn it <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it was a it was a chore to try and get that to to get that beast like you know taken mm. care of <laughs> well the song has that well, so you're, you're a drummer, yeah. and the song has that drummer wrote the song feel. Yeah, I wrote something that I can't actually really play myself, and then forced other people to learn it, which is a yeah. kind of a dick move. And just like in most like good bands, the drummer is the best musician in the band, so everyone else is really <laughs> struggling. No, no, no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but that's like the funny thing, like we have, a, we have a few songs that Aaron has written in Another Heaven, and they always just have that feel. And there's always that moment of like, do I change this? <laughs> or do we just all learn it? Because it's like, yeah, the rhythms you write on guitar, especially for, you know, any the kinds of music that we play, even though they're different, there's the commonalities of rhythms you write on guitar end up being a little bit more like da, 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 da. Whereas like the stuff you write on drums, just, just like, you know, world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want. It's for all sure. it's all rhythm, baby. But yeah, no, that, that song is, is awesome. I'm glad you guys did that. And yeah, record's coming out sometime right yeah we we got to do that music video and then finally put this thing out yeah <laughs> it's for been sure. a long time going yeah so serac has like one album out on Bandcamp. i think it's the only release right? yeah i think it's technically an ep but okay yeah it's like a <laughs> so long long ep the yeah. format i'm a fan of um but yeah so you this record has kind of been due for a while yeah i mean this uh when cole joined mm-hmm that's when we started writing this stuff and that was like i want to say three years ago yeah i was there i remember is that that you guys played with birds in row oh yeah and i was at that show and you were like cole do you want to join our band cole's like yeah i was like okay cool (laughs) i just happened to be standing there like neat yeah yeah (laughs) hell yeah um but yeah so you are also you're a big kojima fan yeah which I intuited from the fact that you frequently are <laughs> seen wearing Kojima Productions. I had to wear it today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I noticed in the past, I was like, man, Josh likes to wear that Kojima Productions hat. Or, or like, you know, a Death Stranding shirt or something. So, um, yeah, you're the guy to talk to about this stuff. Yeah, I think the Death Stranding merch is all, all looks cool. All the Bridges stuff. Mm-hmm. I like it. it just, yeah. 
Yeah, the design, the visual design in Death Stranding is great. And it's very like um it's very like I don't know how to put this. I don't want to say like corporate, but it, they look like real like designs that you would see in an advertising or like yeah. a logo for a corporation. Like yeah. they have that Kojima like futurist feel to them, but they also feel real. I think they had an actual like fashion designer design some of the uniforms and shit. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's just like a lot of really good visual design in that game and it's like half of it is obviously this like crazy horror fantasy world stuff and then half of it is just like oh sam's uniform is very nice <laughs> that that future amazon uniform is <laughs> yeah. real sick oh the, the <laughs> stitching and the cut of it is so nice <laughs> when you're a dystopian delivery man <laughs> well you gotta look good while you're doing that I guess. yeah <laughs> <laughs> for sure well it's interesting too to, i think like for a long time kojima has been like making games that are horror adjacent like there's always like horror elements in this game even if it's just like the aesthetic or you know certain little bits of it but to me death stranding was kind of like the first time he made like an actual like horror game or what i would consider to be a horror game i guess like maybe that's not something everyone would agree with but i consider it to be a horror i game. think it's yeah it i think you're right i think he's always He's definitely, you know, about genre. Mm -hmm. And so he's always had horror in his games. And this time, it's the first time that the antagonist is like uh, a horror, either like a horrific world or, or, you know, ghosts. Ghosts. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is that like the ghosts themselves, they're very horror. They're very like genre horror, you know, like. Yeah, there's kind of a weird surrealist take on what what even is a ghost, but also like it is clearly a ghost. And when they grab you, there's like this tense, scary scene. They transport you to another place. Like, I think to me, a lot of times horror is like a combination of intention and design. So like, there's obviously a visual design part of it where it's like, oh, is that horror? It's like, yeah, you know, you see it. But there's also like an intention. Like, is this supposed to be scary? Is this supposed to be tense? And I think like when you have both sides of that, it's like, well, that's, it's horror, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about that when, when we were talking about doing this, I was like, well, is that horror or is that just, you know, something that's like disturbing and, um, you know, there's tension there. Yeah. And I was like, but that's, that's horror, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, what, what else can you, you know, kind of boil it down to? I mean, yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's weird to think about. For sure. I think to me, it's all, I look at it as like subgenres of horror, you know, where there's, there are things that are like, oh, this is sort of just a thriller. There's nothing supernatural. You know, there's nothing that out there. Even the aesthetics might be kind of like normal for lack of a better word, but like, it's like, oh, clearly this is horror. You know, like I think, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Um, I feel like whatever I'm going to say is going to be something that someone will be like, that's not horror. Because the first thing that pops in my mind was a panic room. I don't know why panic room. But panic room is horror, kind of, like, right? It's like, yeah, I guess it's yeah. like thriller. Yeah, it's a, it's a thriller. And there's a, yeah, whenever there's like a threat and that, you know, either that is like um, supernatural or grounded in reality, if you can kind of elevate it, I think that's horror. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of like, what is the focus? Because like, you know, Panic Room. Okay, this, this is about to get really bad here. I'm like, <laughs> Panic Room is not so different 
<laughs> I've never seen it. I've never seen it. So you're gonna you okay. just lost me. Well, just <laughs> just say yes to whatever I say. So if, you, if you zoom out, Panic Room is not that different from Die Hard. <laughs> but the no, presentation, no. The pre- no, no, no. <laughs> the presentation of Die Hard is as an action movie. The presentation of Panic Room is as a horror thriller movie. Okay. Let's so let's say you you can't confirm or deny that, but that's true. That's that is the the theorem. <laughs> let's okay. See. Well, now it. I have to watch it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, Dwight Yoakam's in it. Oh, okay. I don't know if that does anything for you. A little bit. I'm a, little a big bit. Dwight head, so <laughs> Panic Room's cool. Um, but yeah, so I I do feel like there are so many different like ways to do horror and like subgenres of horror that when I see something like Death Stranding, I was like, that's horror. That's yeah. just like a different kind of horror. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's definitely his horror game, and you've mentioned PT before, and mm-hmm. how that was, you know, that was what he was gonna do, and then he shifted into this. Yeah, and I think that you know the intention there was to make a, a straight up horror game, and he somehow made a contemplative like <laughs> hiking game that is a horror game still. Yeah, you know? right. But, yeah. For sure. Well, and I think, yeah, the the context of PT does change things. Like, knowing that, like, you kind of go in expecting something more horror. See, I when I was kind of watching um, the Death Stranding, like, trailers and stuff coming out and all the, you know, the anticipation or whatever for that game, I didn't know anything about PT. Oh. And I hadn't played it. I hadn't seen anything. I just kept hearing people talking about it, just kind right. of in the background. And I actually went before, you know, doing this, I went and watched the, you know, a walkthrough or whatever. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, man. <laughs> like, even with like, you know, he's very tropey, you know, some of that stuff is tropey, mm-hmm. but it's effective. Like, yeah. and it's weird because I've, you know, played other horror survival games and stuff like that, but this was something else. Yeah. PT is really interesting because... Well, first of all, it's a huge game changer. Like, I mean, PT totally changed the horror video game landscape. So, like, whether or not people think any of Kojima's games are horror or not, like, modern horror video games after PT are different than they were before. Yeah. Like, the whole medium owes, like, a huge debt to Kojima and to PT. Um, But, yeah, it's it's a crazy game. Like, it's so different from everything else he's done. It's super scary and fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and like Yeah, I was getting scared just I was watching it. I had the lights on. Mm-hmm. I had it full screen and I was like, "Should I minimize this?" <laughs> I, <laughs> it was yeah. yeah, it's it's a really effective and I wasn't expecting I was expecting it to be good. Um and I desperately kind of want to play it now, but I don't know if I I don't know. I'd be kind of scared. I get scared. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's Imagine spooky. that in VR like holy shit no i don't want to do that yeah (laughs) um i've like barely done any vr and i'm kind of like thrown off by it i keep threatening them like i'm gonna try resident evil 7 in vr i uh have played a couple hours that my problem with vr is that um after 45 minutes it like starts to make you sick yeah and so i don't know for some reason i just haven't uh picked that back up but the couple hours i've played of it were really really fun yeah i definitely get like a weird brain body discombobulation thing like it doesn't make me like sick to my stomach but like when i'm in there i'm like 
where am I? I get really like existential. <laughs> like, <laughs> What's what, happening? What is this? <laughs> I was like, I tried it at my sister's house. My nephew was like, shoot the guy. I was like, no, <laughs> he's <laughs> real. He's real. I'm not real. <laughs> so that was, what are the moral implications? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I imagine it's good for horror because I bet it makes everything really fucking scary, but I would love that. But also it's like, yeah, I put that shit on and I'm just like, nothing's real you know so we'll see but yeah pt you know the thing i think is really interesting about pt though in the context of other stuff is that like if you've played his other games there are elements of that in there like there's the creepy radio conversations and there's like the you know the way that he's kind of just constantly trying to fuck with you it sort of felt like every metal gear spooky section all just like put into one game but just with a different like frame of reference yeah like i could see that for sure with the first person thing and i think that's probably the biggest difference and yeah it's it's a crazy game i've played it a few times now i played it when it came out and then i've tried a couple different like uh remakes of it because people are always trying to like remake it and release it and one dude yeah one dude did like as far as i can tell like a perfect like note for note remake of pt and just like put it out for free on the internet wow yeah and it's just it's such a crazy game like it there's just so much going on and it's just so it's so otherworldly honestly because like there's just like parts of it or there's elements of it where you're like is this gonna keep going or is like is this because it loops and you get kind of like randomized like different hallways that you're walking down so it's not like always the same the the looping mechanic is provides a lot of the creepiness yeah because there's just something unsettling about that yeah just going and looking for minor changes you Mm -hmm. know and there's yeah just watching the the walkthrough that i was doing it was um you know they knew they obviously had played it a bunch and knew what to do to you know finish the game in 20 minutes or however long it took um but i imagine that you know, if you're playing it for the first time, you're looking for whatever you can find and you don't know if something's going to jump out. You know, everything is any, you know, possible thing that you can interact with. Because all you can do is zoom, right? You can you can walk around and you can kind of zoom into things. Yep. And like zooming into something is the perfect time for something to jump out at you. Yeah. You know? It's so a like, slow yeah. camera move. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really scary. It's really, really tense. And I think it was interesting, too, because, like, you think of Kojima as such a maximalist, and it's such a minimalist game, though, in terms of its mechanics. And it's just packed with weird little details that you're looking for. Some of which I do think recur, like, in Death Stranding. Like, the... I mean, there's a famous fetus in it, which I don't think, you know, gets more Death Stranding than that. (laughs) Death Stranding has, like, the most famous, you know, (laughs) fetus uh, in it, uh, which you hear Mads Mikkelsen called BB over and over and over. It's just, like, the best part of the game. (laughs) I realized after I finished it, I was like, I think part of the reason I love Death Stranding was that I just wish Mads Mikkelsen was my dad. And so having all these scenes from the perspective of the baby where he's talking to you like he's your dad, I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> Those were some of the, yeah, like some of the best, that mechanic of like uh, you going up the elevator and then it, and plugging in. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you don't realize, no spoilers or whatever, but right. <laughs> you don't yeah. realize, you know, plugging in that that's like, you know, uh, initiating some sort of like memory. 
or whatever. But right, and, and that that was cool because it, it kind of got you um, to do things in the private room that you might not otherwise like do because they would right. trigger some of those like cutscenes and stuff. Yeah, take a shower, take shit, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like and and yeah, so like. I thought that was that was a good way to do it. Um, but that's also like that's basically PT. Like though private room sections and like trying to like kind of get those different things to happen, that's how you play PT. Yeah, like, yeah. So it's interesting that I think that people when Death Stranding was announced and when the gameplay was shown, it was like, oh, this is such a big change. It's like not really. It's yeah. just like a much larger game that has that game like inside of it, sort of. Yeah. The there's some good like little horror bits right in the, that private room you know like the you know the, the bt like the bb like knocking its head against oh, yeah. the glass and like coming out to to grab you like that was you know the first time it happens it's super effective you know yeah. maybe the second or third not so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure yeah he, it's he throws in those little things a lot but it just seems like as his gameography goes on you see more and more and more and death stranding is just like a lot of it yeah like the elements that would have been like just a little kind of reference or throwaway thing in a previous game now it's like the whole game you know it's like oh like this is a little creepy it's a little weird it's like everything in death stranding is creepy and weird yeah yeah it's i was saying that he's tropier or whatever but it uh, you know a lot of the stuff that is like the the full package of you know what Death Stranding is um, is very like original. Yeah, and it stands out. I mean, it is. It is. He likes genre. He likes tropes. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were saying, uh, you know, how you get dragged by the BTS. I mean, that's an Evil Dead reference. It has to be right. Yeah, for sure. So like, there's that, but then there's like the fact that you're, um, you know, stranded on this beach with like all these beach whales, and and somehow that's like, you know. Uh, horrific like limbo right right so like that's pretty original yeah like so he he somehow balanced some tropes with you know i mean i'm not saying he is not original i'm not trying to say that yeah no but i think that like the big thing for me that makes death stranding work and why it's so notable is that like it has this super cool unique otherworldly universe that it's set inside of like it's its own world that's really strange and unique. And that's why I think he can put all of that stuff in there and put all those horror elements and make everything feel cohesive. Whereas like the world of Metal Gear Solid is not really unique in and of itself. Like it's essentially a quasi realistic modern world that he just fills with a bunch of crazy anime shit. Yeah. And and so that's why like, I think that's part of the magic of Metal Gear Solid, but it's also sometimes why you're just like, kind of rolling your eyes at it well uh, and you you know it's coming uh if they were going to make another metal gear solid game you know that the bosses are going to be weird anime you know paranormal people that that have a tragic backstory you know i mean you you know you know what's gonna happen because it's a video game so you have to have a a boss to fight against and and those are the type of characters that he does right so so and, and then you've got you know death stranding is you know it's not that formula and mm-hmm. i think uh, there's a lot of people that are like oh make another metal gear i mean do you want another metal gear <laughs> no absolutely not. i i maybe want a remake 
of the first one, you know, because I kind of want that closure from the Phantom Pain Mm -hmm. because that story thread just, you know, he just didn't get to complete it. Right. So I would kind of want that. But other than that, no, because he's, he's done that to death and like that death stranding was so different. I want a death stranding too. Like you said, that, that world is so, it's so fleshed out. Mm -hmm. And I know some people complain about, um, his exposition and you know there's a million emails and interviews and stuff that you can read and you know dead man comes on the radio and he tells you the same freaking thing Mm -hmm. that he just told you you (laughs) know and some people like hate that about kojima right and so there's like those there's there's those two like kind of opposing forces where it's like his his world is so fleshed out and and some people are like you're over explaining it and and other people are like, no, I want those those details to to kind of you know do the world building right for me, you know. Yeah, well, and I think that one thing that I found really impressive in Death Stranding, which I think I maybe mentioned in the episode, was that he makes all that stuff work because you're not familiar with the world. Like I think in Metal Gear Solid, that stuff doesn't work as well for me because it's like he's like mansplaining geopolitics to me, and it's like. <laughs> I mean, once I mean, we were just talking about before we started recording. It's like, yeah, when I played Metal Gear Solid One and I was eleven, that was cool. Then you played as an adult, and you're like, yeah, dude, I'm like a person. Like, <laughs> I know about history and shit, and like, so it just kind of comes off as like, shut the fuck up. But in Death Stranding, it was a lot. I had a much higher tolerance for it because it was like, I don't know anything about this world, and this world is psycho. Like, this world is crazy. I don't get anything about it. So when they're, you know throwing out all these acronyms and saying all this shit and just sending you email after email after email. Like it, it works more because you're like, I really don't get what happened here. I really don't get what's going on. And I also think that the, the kind of like bones of the game, like the stuff you have to look at or the stuff that is like part of the main story, I think works really well. So if you get tired of it, you can just ignore it. Like I definitely stopped reading my emails about halfway through the game yeah yeah because i was like this is they make you read the emails to to progress certain Mm -hmm. things though so you have to click on it yeah and choose like actively choose not to read it which is kind of funny it's super funny (laughs) but see this is another thing too i didn't talk about this in that episode uh and i wanted to then i was like whatever i'll talk about it another time i'm planning on doing like eight episodes on death stranding <laughs> over the next year so whatever <laughs> fucking buckle up everyone it's Just my show it. you have to deal with it <laughs> but like i love how overstuffed the world of death stranding is like when you're running around there's all these messages and icons junk people have built like there's obviously useful stuff like bridges but then there's just like a random fucking thing that plays like a terrible indie pop song. And it's like, <laughs> but like, I think it's genius because I think that for years and years and years, the vision of the apocalyptic future was like, you know, in the year 2058, mankind has fallen. There's nothing left. And it's like, it's all just barren. It's Mad Max and whatever, but it's like, no, no, because the world is full of garbage. We make so much garbage. We build so much shit. You couldn't wipe it all away. It would take 
ages for the earth to swallow all the garbage that we've littered over it. The post-apocalyptic hellscape is going to be covered in fucking bullshit like that. It's just going to be an absolute like garbage pile, especially if people are allowed to like leave holographic emojis. There would just be a bunch of like poop emojis everywhere. And it's like, I love that Death Stranding is just full of shit. And yeah. it's just like, because it's like, that's actually like maybe the mo- one of the more disturbing things about it is like you're running around, you're like, this is all garbage. And, and he gives you a, an option to see what the world, that world is like without it yeah. if you play on your own. Mm-hmm. And I played the you know, first time I played online mm-hmm. and that, you know, was a mechanic that was new and interesting and, and awesome. Mm-hmm. It would have been kind of cooler if you could actually like see your friend's structure. There wasn't, it was more, it was based more on like a, a community or, and, and interacting with strangers. Right. Yeah. But then my second playthrough, I, I turned that off and just do and seeing the difference between doing it on your own and doing it with help was, that was cool. That yeah. was like, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It really is. It, it, you know, it, it was a more um, kind of pristine landscape, mm. but there was also that like, this makes it way harder. So you're yeah. like, you're like kind of on your own and everything looks nice and you get that like kind of cool contemplative feeling while you're just you know trekking about yeah but at the same time it's like wow this this kind of sucks on my own (laughs) yeah yeah and and, you know that's that's where i think he is kind of different from other people that are making games because you know maybe i'm i don't know if that's intentional or not but the mechanics that he like the things that he allows you to do are not just you know, is this fun or is it not fun? Does this, you know, can I, can I use a, a rocket to, to, you know, you know, shoot, you know, these people in interesting ways. It's like, oh, I can, I can see the journey that I took in two different lights. Right. Like, other game companies and developers are not thinking about it like that. Yeah. Well, I think even the online component of that game is, is really, really genius. I think. Cause like, like I got really into the FromSoft games over the last year and they have a really quirky way of doing online where like it's similar where as you're running around you're seeing messages everywhere and little animations people leave. And in that game it's kind of a quirk. It's a quirk because it clashes with the world. The world is this grim, dark, heavy metal album cover type place and then there's like someone just like doing like rolls in front of you of a message that says like try finger butthole you know and it's <laughs> get a, wrecked <laughs> yeah there's a dissonance but then i think in in death stranding that specific element because you can't summon people in like you can in the like souls games but that specific element of people leaving messages and animations and detritus and stuff like in death stranding i felt like it supported the themes of the game and then he went a step further with the like collaborative building element which really makes you feel like there is actually multiplayer going on like okay even though i can't summon in my friend and we co-op death stranding i can see that they're helping me or i can see that maybe these anonymous people online are helping me and i felt like that was just really smart because it reinforced the whole theme of like connection without being in the same space you know and like that's like a huge theme in the game because you're meeting all these characters and you see like four or five of them face to face Everyone else is just like in a bunker 
you know like you can like chat up conan o'brien but he's not going to fucking come up and talk to you and jinji ito <laughs> most importantly you can chat up jinji ito but like he's not coming up to fucking talk to you dude fuck you i'm not getting your fucking weird time disease get out of here <laughs> and so like i thought that multiplayer thing like initially i didn't get it and then i was like god these messages are like really intense but i already played dark souls so i was like okay i'm used to it like whatever but then i was like oh actually this makes everything work and once again it reinforces some of the kind of disturbing parts about the world like the fact that people can't like be together you know yeah the time that this game came out was insane yeah uh <laughs> what like the, that and mgs2 are are kind of like the most ridiculous kind of times for release so like i i can't remember they were supposed to release it mgs2 i want to say i can't remember if it was like a couple weeks before 9-11 or if it was like two weeks after or something yeah and then so it was like right around the time yeah so that that's and and the ending of that game there's you know um I can't remember if it's the capital or, or what you crash into, yeah. but you're basically destroying, you know, something in Washington, DC. Yeah. There's right. like a big terrorist attack, more or less. Yeah. It's not framed like that. But. Yeah. It's it's similar enough where they were like, we might have to change this ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one, I mean, obviously it was a year later, so not exactly on the dot like the other one, but um pretty crazy, just yeah. uh, the timing of it all. Yeah. For sure. I played it like I started playing it right before the pandemic hit, I think, or right around that time. Because I was just like, I'm going to finally check out this game. And I was just like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah so the, all that stuff hit like super hard. It did hit different the second time playing it in the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, of course it did. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But yeah, I think that like that all those choices are just so good. Like it just creates a different world. And I think that's what was missing from his games for a long time. I think having to like be in the same world, you know, and like having to kind of work within those like constraints of like MGS, I feel like was definitely like limiting, like what he could do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like like even like, you know, I was just saying, I mean, this actually be funny to just chronologically go backwards through every Kojima game. Cause that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> I think we should commit to that. Okay. Uh, so I recently played Metal Gear Solid Five, which was the only Metal Gear Solid game that I hadn't played. Uh, I didn't play all of it. I played quite a few hours of it, and then just kind of like got to a point where I was like, okay, I, I get it, and I want to do other stuff. There's a know? lot of grinding in that game. Yes. Which, you know, that's I don't like grinding so much anymore. Yeah. I, I loved grinding in, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics when I was 13. Yep. And I would just play, uh-huh. you know, get those experience points and all that. Yep. This, MGS5 is really, there's a, I don't know if you got this far, but there's literally a point where you play the same missions over again with different, um, different oh. objectives. No, I didn't. That sounds horrible. Uh, it's... I, you know, my first playthrough, I was really into that game, so I didn't mind it because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, the the different objectives were kind of cool. But I remember being annoyed at the s- story implications. I was right. like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> why am I, why am I being told the same things again? Mm-hmm. And my character is not, you know, it, it took me out of the 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 suspension of disbelief for the story for sure. And. Um, it really felt like one of those things. Oh, we have all these assets that we built, uh, and we need to flesh out the the you know, we need twenty more hours of gameplay. Right. Just let's just do this, you know, those missions again. 
it works on a on some level because you're grinding to be this big boss character, right? Right. So you're trying to become this legendary soldier or whatever. So maybe it works on some sort of level <laughs> with that. But other than that, it's just kind of it, it is grindy because the the funnest that that game gets is when you have unlocked a lot of cool stuff and right. you can tackle the missions basically any way you want. Yeah. You can you can do a crazy stealth where you've got quiet and she's shooting people and you're you're doing double I remember my favorite mission in that game was there's basically a fishbowl and you've got quiet on one side sniping people, you're sniping people on the other side and then you have to go you know in and infiltrate or whatever. Right. Like th- that's those are like the highlights of MGS5 or those like action set pieces that you made yourself right and, and you made decisions that are like that feel cinematic right right Th- those are the highlights the lowlights are like you said you sometimes it's you're punished for those decisions right mm-hmm. and and the story i think was uh, for being as cinematic as it was in a metal gear game and like getting you know getting a, a key for Sutherland and mm-hmm. a, you know actors that were portraying these characters and then just kind of have it not really go anywhere yeah that was frustrating well for sure and I think that like playing Metal Gear Solid 5 right after playing Death Stranding you realize that like all the changes in Death Stranding were really smart and they were done to like enhance the game and the story and the cutscenes and everything because like it's even just like at first it's a subtle thing like when you start playing Death Stranding that they're all real actors visually you know like it's a subtle thing where you're like okay that's cool whatever but then as you play the game you're like it totally changes the direction it totally changes the visual style it changes everything and it works really well because it makes all the cutscenes just like play better and it makes all the dialogue play better you know and I don't know if that's like the quality of acting or the fact that the acting is both physical and voice or like what, but like that change is huge. Yeah. I felt that too. It was, um, the first time with a game where I forgot I was playing a game and not watching a movie because if the, the character models, you know, they're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were photorealistic enough and the acting was good enough where it just completely, you just, you're engrossed, you know, with the story Mm -hmm. And it felt, it felt like you're watching a movie, and right. that's kind of his, been his goal since day one. Yes, and it was finally like he achieved it, you know. Yeah, and the story was good enough. And I know there's there's people that don't like the story that much, mm-hmm. um, or they have problems with it. Sure. I, I've heard I've heard criticisms that it's like the the core story was good enough that they didn't need to kind of draw it out and um, complicate it in some ways. Like, it's not a very complicated story, though. There, there are. Yeah. Like, it kind of, it kind of gets, lo- it gets a little bit lost in its own ass at the end. Like, sure. <laughs> like they, they tell you uh, at some point they tell you about Amelie being. They're like, oh, she's the beach, but hers, like, her beach is a higher plane, and we can't get. There's just like they kind of introduce some rules yeah. that they didn't have before, you know, and they've they figured out how they work off screen and just yeah. there, there's some there's some fuckery going on oh um, for sure and, yes. i mean yeah. yeah yeah that's inevitable right yeah but i think the there there the core story is good enough that it 
you could boil it down to a two-hour movie and it would still work. Yeah. Well, and even when we were talking about how like every Kojima game has like the, you know, movie length cutscene right before the end. And Death Stranding is the first one that I just sat and watched like it was a movie. And like I almost didn't even know this was happening until I was like an hour in and I was like, I have to pee. <laughs> like I have to pause this and like take care of that. Like get some water and shit. Like this is crazy, you know? Cause it's just like, but it, it's, I think a lot of that is that choice and the choice to ha- have it like film style direction, like the choice to give it film style direction as well as using real actors and stuff. All those things go hand in hand and they totally change the story. Well, do you think he hasn't had film style direction previously? No. I don't think so. Because, like, and that's, like, okay, so playing Metal Gear Solid Five was so interesting because, like, you can see that it's, like, the limits of what you can do with something that's still very clearly a video game. So you have these, like, characters who are very clearly, like, digital characters. They're not actors, right? And you have this direction style that is still very unreal, you know? Because, like, even, like, when you play that game, there's that big cutscene in the beginning when you're leaving the hospital. Right? I was, I was going to mention that. Yeah. So, like, when you watch that, in a way, your brain goes, this is cinematic. But having just played Death Stranding, which looks like an actual movie, you watch that cutscene and you're like, nah, dog, this is an anime. Did they, <laughs> did they mocap for MGS5 or not? I'm sure. 100%. Okay. Yeah. I definitely agree with you that the face, that facial, like, the acting was not as expressive as yeah. death training there's something about so like tommy lee jenkins who plays um die hard man die hard man <laughs> die hard man see i don't i i that shit's ridiculous but i i don't care i it, yeah the, it is what it is once you get used to the naming it's like kind of awesome especially late in the game when he becomes like an important story character with like real like story beats and they're still like die hard man <laughs> It, yeah yeah it's it's, it's like, anime yeah like you said yeah his performance in that where he you know he's basically confessing and breaks down mm-hmm. holy shit yeah like that is that's acting like that it's you know that's something you could see in a movie and it's it's standout you know it stands yeah. out from the you were talking about how all the acting is really good mm-hmm. and you've got you know Norman Reedus he's playing like the everyday straight man kind of you know yeah you know he's doesn't have to do much but he is cast so well in that role that it works right. and I, I wasn't expecting um, that level of acting out of anybody you know in the game right. and and then he just busts that out and you're like holy crap yeah like th- I was not expecting something of that caliber Right. You know, being in a video game and I don't know, maybe something like The Last of Us or Last of Us 2 is, you know, those performances are on that level. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know. I I didn't get the same feeling like right. I, I, I did. And maybe it's just the technology of it because the mocap or whatever has gotten so uh, advanced mm-hmm. that it, it was able to capture the performance you know, to that level. But um, yeah, the, the Last of Us or that's the only thing I can probably like compare it to is something th- where yeah. it like got to you on an emotional level like that due to the performance. I think tech wise. Yeah. Last of us Two, super crazy cutscenes that get to that level of like, it could be a movie. Yeah. But what's interesting about that game uh, is like the art style and art design are weird. 
So some of the characters look real and some of the characters look like cartoons. I notice that a lot about certain games. Yeah. Is that, and I, and I, I think it is because some of them are mo-capped and some aren't. I, that's, yeah. or maybe, maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just that they they don't spend as much time or yeah. money on certain characters because they're kind of more background or whatever. But um, yeah, the, like the, the scene where uh, Joel dies, like the... I can't remember the actor that's doing Ellie, but that performance is like on that level, right? Know, where yeah. you can like you can like see the like you know the uh, the anguish and the emotion, and, right? And the person's like performance. And you're like, oh, sh-. yeah. This is yeah. I remember um, I was like telling my mom I was like talking about Death Stranding because I was talking about it all the time to anybody <laughs> that would freaking listen. <laughs> but I was I was saying like this is this is the future. This is like where games and movies kind of start to to cross pollinate and become the same thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's like with any artistic medium where there's certain artists who have a style and that style is going to lend itself to a, a specific, you know, set of like visual tropes and like tech ideas and stuff with Kojima. I think that he's so like trying to make a movie that that style is perfect for him. It's like, okay, make a movie. Here's your movie. But I think like when you play his older games, you see that when he's not in that, place like when he's not like strictly trying to make something look like a film he goes over the top and so it's like the action that happens the things that happen on screen even the performances they don't have that film look you know because and i'm trying i'm specifically using the word film and not cinematic because cinematic could just be an adjective that you could apply to anything but like i mean literally like film and like like when we watch you know something like a movie or a tv show or whatever it's real people moving around it's real lights, the way that the lights work, the way that people interact, even if it's an over the top action movie with CG, like if it's done well, we look at the way things explode or whatever. And we're like, that's real. Like our brain just goes like, that's real. But the problem, I mean, the problem that video games have had that kind of started in the PS2 era and it still rears its head sometimes is that uncanny Valley problem, right? Where it's like you get, before you get to absolute realism, there's a huge valley where things look real, but not real enough. And our brain just goes like, what is that? <laughs> you know? And that was like that opening cutscene of MGS five. It's not bad. It's a good cutscene. It's fun to watch. It's action packed. But like, there's a part where they're riding on a horse and they're like threading trees and stuff's blowing up and people are shooting at them. And you're just like, this is an anime. Like this is, you know, it's not a movie. The way that things are happening, the way that things look, the way that the characters are moving, the way they're able to thread that fucking needle on that fucking horse. You're just like, yeah, it's not grounded. It's anime. And and that's okay. But it, it feels to me like that was not the most complimentary thing to his style, honestly. And that's like Death Stranding his way harder. Cause it's like, oh, this is what you've been trying to do. You know, like that's the thing. But I'd that, agree. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I mean the the best. So like, I think out of all all his games, MGS One would make the best film. Sure, because it's it's such a self contained bottle episode for these characters, right? Mm-hmm. You learn about Big Boss and and in MGS One, you have no idea if you didn't play the first two games, which probably nobody did because uh-huh. they weren't available. That you don't know who Big Boss is. And there's like a throwaway line that they want Big Boss's remains for, you know, that's the ransom, right? They want yeah. they want his DNA. And you're just like, okay, right? Yeah. And but but it doesn't matter. 
Right. That's just like a, a throwaway plot point that doesn't that doesn't matter. I guess. But back to your point is that like the first MGS has all those anime influences, but I think that it it does feel kind of like a film. Yeah. Because it's kind of more grounded, with the exception of the the anime stuff. You know, no, there's not yeah. there's not stuff like flying around like that as much. You could you could film uh, the, the plot of MGS one, and it would feel like you know uh, a spy thriller that that you could replicate you know in right. in reality. But it's also like the visual style is very grounded. A lot of the action on screen is grounded. I'm sure a lot of that had to do with like the available tech at the time. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't have. Yeah, like you're saying, I'm just five. They can make a, a giant flying, uh, flaming whale explode on the screen, and there's the man on fire and all that stuff. There's yeah. none. Of, there's none of that. There's, you know, there's Gray Fox maybe jumping around a lot, but that's you could see that in a, you know, Marvel movie now. But right. Yeah. Even just from MGS one to two the like ridiculous stuff on screen quotient is like way higher. Oh, into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Solidus in the Harrier jet mm-hmm. and like he like jumps out of it and you know yeah. Vamp is walking on water like Jesus. Okay, Vamp is just in there. Yeah, yeah at he's all. just a character. Yeah, that that's the most anime crap ever. Yeah. Is is yeah, MGS2 is definitely yeah, anime on steroids a bit. Yeah. Um, for sure. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I have my my issues. We'll get there, I'm sure. But with, with MGS5, I just felt like it was kind of pushing the limits of what they could do with that original style. I feel like that with the gameplay and everything, too. Because, like, I was saying, like, going from Death Stranding to MGS5, it's like, oh, these are, like, the Death Stranding menus, but not as good. This is the Death Stranding loadout, but not as good. So do you mean, like, the in, in-game in HUD or, like, that, the men- like, the loadout menus? Both. Both. I think Death Stranding is very similar, but just better in both regards. So, like, I'm picking up Metal Gear Solid Five again and going from being like really good at it, you know, mm-hmm. on my after my first playthrough where I played, you know, a crazy number of hours. So you just you're just good, right? To going back to square one, I was like hot swapping out of weapons and trying to like, you know go from stealth to to all right i gotta pull out my ak or whatever felt cumbersome yeah and i remember being like this is not as fluid and as cool as i remember it and being frustrated yeah and but then there's a little voice in the back of my head saying you know get good son (laughs) (laughs) like you just yeah (laughs) yeah i just think that like with that kind of stuff in games there is you know it should be instantly uh, good feeling it should be sticky it should be like easy to do so that if you fuck up you're like oh i fucked up it's not like oh this menu is slow and weird and the way i have to do it is weird and, like with death stranding it has the weird like radial menu kind of shit but it's like i immediately was like oh i get it i get exactly what i'm supposed to do but metal gear solid 5 was like what you know it's kind of like what is this but I don't know. I just, I guess, like, I'm not trying to rag on MGS5. It's, like, clearly a good game, like, a very good game. But I just, like, Death Stranding kind of ruined it for me, I would say. Because it's even, like, with what we were talking about this before we recorded with the level design, where, like, it kind of, instead of being like Death Stranding, where it's, like, a big open thing, 
Metal Gear Solid 5 is kind of like an open area that leads to a bottleneck, that leads to another open area, that leads to a bottleneck. And like the bottlenecks frequently include like combat. And it was just like, as someone who just didn't want to do any combat really, it was like, it was kind of hard, you know? I think, I think you're right. Death Stranding definitely, going back and playing MG5, I haven't been able to get into it as much and yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. And maybe it is because of Death Stranding. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I noticed was they make you go across that map so much in MGS5 uh -huh. and there is nothing besides besides the like the wayposts that you're supposed to like capture right but you don't want to because you're like I just need to get past this to get to the objective <laughs> exactly they, you, they drop you in and you have to get on a horse or a vehicle and you have to spend like you know, a good five minutes mm -hmm. getting to whatever you need to get to and it's not engaging. You're just yeah. driving or or on your horse. Maybe you you know go to go on the side of your horse to be yeah. stealthy. You know, <laughs> um, but other than that, it, it's kind of a a time waste. Yeah, and that's the other thing is like you fly in the helicopter. There's like a two minute cutscene of you flying in in the helicopter, and you know Kojima Productions like credit yeah. logo. Uh, those are the things that the first time I like. I recognized them when I was playing it the first time and I was like, this kind of, you know, gets kind of annoying when you're just trying to do a mission. Mm -hmm. um, but I just accepted it because I was having fun and it is what it is. And going back to it where that's where it starts to get a little annoying because you're like, yeah. I just want to, I want to get in, do the fun part and get out. Yeah. And it was getting in the way of that. Um, whereas yeah. Death Stranding, the, the map, there's, it, it's an open world game that uh, there's not a whole lot um, between way, you know, between objectives or whatever uh, in as far as like interacting with something like a, another open world game would where, you know, you, you're going from point A to point B and there's, Oh, I discovered this little shrine or I discovered right. this little NPC that can talk to me. There's none of that. It's the map is the fun. Yeah. And that is, Miles ahead of riding a horse and pushing, you know, straight on it while you go to a uh, another camp. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing that some developers are figuring out, like where it's like if you're gonna make people travel a lot and traverse, it's important then that the things you do to traverse are fun. It's fun to do, and so like like a couple games that I've played recently, I mean, uh, I think have really hit the nail on the head. One of them is like kind of objectively not a good game, but I love it. And that's Dying Light and Dying Light 2, where it's like they're stupid games, but like they make running around fun. That's like the whole point of the game. So it's this big kind of dopey open world game, but you're just like, dude, this is fun. Like it's fun to run around. It's fun to to move around. And like that really changes how you move through the world. That's really how I felt about Death Stranding where it's like I enjoyed walking around because there is like a challenge element to it where it's like you have to manage your the way you move and how you're distributing your weight and all that stuff and then like once you jump on a vehicle or whatever is also really fun they just made it fun like it's not realistic and it's not like anything it's just so you, fun so you like the vehicles I love the vehicles see I uh, I was frustrated by them at the beginning because uh -huh. um, you're used to regular video games where if you want to drive over uh, a pebble <laughs> you, you can, can do so yeah. so you, you get on that tractor bike thing and and 
you automatically are like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, pilot this like a motorcycle or whatever, right. where it's, it is a motorcycle, but at the same time you have to get good at it. Yeah. And you can't, you can't try and ram your way through things that a, a real vehicle like that wouldn't be able to get through. Yeah. And so it does feel good to kind of master that. And, yeah. and the, the fun is, um, you know, I, the fun is like, getting so good that you're like, all right, I'm going to, um, you know, make these deliveries and it's going to take me like, you know, five, five minutes to do this when it used to take me 20 or whatever. Right. One thing I didn't, that I, there was like a, a bunch of death stranding where I was like, I had these cool little ideas that I th- thought it wasn't missing that. It was just something that it, like it almost like inspired me that, think of you know it was um for me the only complaints i had would i wanted more of a challenge yeah like the the time requirements were always pretty um forgiving Mm -hmm. if you unless you you know tried to fit in like 20 orders into you know just do a bunch of orders and and make it work right Right. so you you could challenge yourself i turned like things like i would turn the reticle off Mm. because i was like i'm a postman i don't know how to shoot a gun like i'm turn the reticle off (laughs) so you don't really know what you're doing and um, turn the HUD completely off. Oh, uh, stuff like that to yeah. like just kind of up the challenge, or or you know, I'm gonna go take out this mule camp with a you know two carts behind me. Yeah, and I can't sprint really, but I'm gonna try and take them out anyways. Yeah, so you can make your own challenges, which is that's that's awesome. Like that yeah. in video games, whenever you can do that, that's that's great. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, I was. What did you think of the bosses in that game? Um, they're like visually cool. They nailed the spectacle part of it. I think gameplay wise, they were all they could have just not been there. Yeah, I thought they were one of the weakest parts. I think they're probably the weakest part of the game. Like especially like the one huge like kaiju that you have to kill. Where oh the uh, the like humanoid one yeah at the end yeah yeah where you kind of just lets you try it as many times as you want like you can just like keep like dying or you can just keep running out of ammo or whatever issue you're having like the first time i did it and i died i was like oh shit and i was like oh it oh i'm back okay he has the same amount of health okay you know it's just like it was weird it's like they designed this crazy boss that was like too unwieldy and too hard and then they were just like okay we're just gonna make it easy for you to beat it yeah. And it was kind of, and it was almost the same with like the most frustrating slash difficult thing was the fist fight that you do with uh, <laughs> the asshole. I forget his name. Uh, uh, um, Dr. Asshole. <laughs> <'cause it's, laughs> um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Troy Baker. It's Troy yeah, Baker. Troy Baker. I can't like, remember. He's not like, he's a good character, but that's once he takes off the mask, you really don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. It's just like, I want to punch Troy Baker is really annoying in real life. The pizza just, guy. Yeah. <laughs> the guy that you deliver pizzas to. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, like that boss fight is really wonky. I, the, the fist fight or the one that you actually like fight each other on, um the part well it's it's like the first part of that you know the one that leads to the fist fight okay you have to do that weird thing where like you hide and then he you like throw packages to distract him and then you bolo him and see i like that one it was it was hard um and it was weird because it made you use this mechanic that you hadn't really if you hadn't fucked with it you were fucked if you hadn't been throwing uh 
packages at people, like that boss fight is pretty hard. Yeah. But if you had been doing that, like it's pretty easy. My issue with it was that like, I, yeah, I just hadn't done that. And so I just like didn't get what the fuck I was supposed to do. And then I looked it up and once I knew what to do, I beat it in like 10 minutes. But it was just like annoying that it was like, why did I have to look that up? Like that to me is kind of like bad design. That bugged me. But then it was, yeah, like I had not long before that I had fought the kaiju thing, which once again felt like I liked that boss fight more on a basic level. Like I think the gameplay of it is cool and being like, okay, use a rocket launcher, which you've never done. I was like, well, that's fun. I mean, who's going to say no to a fucking rocket launcher in a video game, you know? But then just the fact that they kind of knew that it was like a big unwieldy boss and they're just literally throwing items at you the whole time and like letting you die and come back or whatever. I was just like, this is a little wonky, you know, like it's just like you're saying the game is so grounded and it has all these details that you're meant to pay attention to. And then you get to a boss fight and it's like, just kidding. (laughs) Like it's ridiculous again. You know, the the bosses um, were the weakest part for me and, and they felt like bullet sponges Yeah, and they also felt like they should have been harder and they weren't harder because I don't know I, I feel like there was almost this intention with the game where um, they wanted to appeal to a very broad audience because it was kind of like a film Yeah. so they're like there's like a very easy mode on that game which uh-huh. why would you ever need a very easy <laughs> mode there's no way unless yeah. you never play video games, right? Yeah. I, I think that there, for some reason there was some sort of appeal to that. Either that or the balancing issue of, okay, you come across this giant, you know, BT boss, right? But you're, you have all this cargo because you weren't planning on, you know, coming into that uh, encounter. Right. So you have to be able to beat it even though you're, you planned incorrectly, right? Yeah. There was a couple bosses like that where I was I didn't plan and then you know I wasn't planning into running into a boss and it was hard and then I died and then I went and you know planned for the boss and it was easy as crap. Right. Yeah. So exactly. there was a weird there's a weird balancing issue where if you know what's coming, it's easy because you can grab some blood bags yeah. and some ammunition and hematic grenades and you're good to go. Right. Uh, whereas if you we're like, oh, I'm just bringing this cargo over here. Holy crap! There's this giant kaiju boss. Then you're you're kind of screwed. So I yeah, I, I give them some deference on that because I think it was a balancing issue. Right. But at the same time, I was really disappointed by the bosses. Yeah, for sure. It just felt like something that didn't need to be in there. Like, and that's like not a good feeling in a game. And it's also like I I'm always bugged by games where they feel like they need to throw a new mechanic at you to make a boss fight or a climactic moment land. Cause like, why you don't need to do that. Like, you know, it's like, if you want to challenge the player, challenge them using the mechanics they've been honing this whole time. Like they've been using these mechanics. They've been getting better at using them. So let the boss fight be like a skill check. Like, okay, do you actually know how to use this? Do you actually know how to do this? Like, that's fine. It's, it's almost hard to make a boss too hard. If you're, adhering to that but if you just make it so it's like okay well we're gonna make you learn a whole new skill or play in a totally different way just for this boss fight is a huge pet peeve of mine i just don't like it you know i'm sure it's a it's probably not a big pet peeve for everybody but for me i'm just like oh shut up you know like don't do that it doesn't make sense because you've been training you know to to do something and then it, it gives you 
I, I think I think that um, some games do that for cinematic effect because they're like, all right, this is a boss. Mm-hmm. You know, here's your uh, new weapon that you get to use, so it'll look cool. Yeah. But the main way that difficulty is like assessed is right is that you know they gave you a tool and you've learned how to use it. Right. Uh, then put it in this new situation, see if you can do it. The combat in Death Stranding, if you, a lot of people probably didn't focus on that. So if you were playing a hard and you got to, you know, the uh, World War sections, mm-hmm. those were kind of difficult. Those oh. were some of my favorite parts of the game. Yeah. Because I had been doing combat and, you know, with the reticle off and playing on very hard the first time, I had to take the difficulty down. Yeah. I was getting I was getting smacked. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was bad. I think I spent like a good couple like. I want to say like two hours on the um, the World War II section. Yeah, uh, because it was just it was a cool map. It was hard, mm-hmm. and you like in that like that destroyed church. Yeah, and you're fighting these World War II like skeleton guys, and I just remember the the first playthrough. I I was getting frustrated. I was like, ah, oh, you know, because I hadn't done that much combat yet, so I was yeah. not used to it yet, and. Being like, why is this so much harder than the rest of the game? Yeah. And it's because the rest of the game, you're delivering packages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's something that I think works a lot better just because, like, it does, it's still, like, it is a mechanic. Combat's a mechanic in the game. So they just put it in this part where it's like, all right, go nuts with it. You know? Like, that's cool. But, yeah, then when you get to the some of the boss fights where it's like, okay, here's, like, a totally different way of playing the game. That's when I was just like, man, fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this shit. It's weird because his boss fights are usually the highlights, right? Yeah. You know, those are some of the best parts of the, the Metal Gear Solid games are the bosses. Yeah. So to have the bosses f- fall that short felt disappointing, I think. To, to Yeah. You know, that's an interesting thing, though. It's like, I actually covered this on our uh on the patreon recently because i do like a bonus show over there and i take audience like questions and submissions and stuff and an audience member asked me shout out to alex asked me like what do i think about boss fights and like you know how like why do so many horror games specifically have shitty boss fights and like are boss fights kind of like an outdated idea and i think there is something to that where like in a lot of modern styles of games especially the big triple a open world game boss fights are kind of outdated because yeah. like the whole game is so much about this openness and this journey and then to like have it hit a choke point where it's like okay kill this one guy like i'm running around the fucking the whole world i don't care about that guy fuck that guy you know like unless you've <laughs> done story work to make me want like Troy Baker, like yeah, I want to punch Troy Baker in the face real bad. He's fucking trying to sell me NFTs and shit. Fuck him, Higgs. <laughs> yeah, Higgs. Higgs. Like, yeah, the Higgs boss. And, yeah. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and he talks about it too, just in case he didn't get the reference. Like, <laughs> Does he? Yeah, he's like the God particle. Like, oh, okay, Higgs. Okay, Troy fucking Baker. Fuck you. Um. Yeah, like unless you've done the story work like with Higgs where it's like, I just want to kill this guy. Fuck this guy. Uh, it's just another thing. And you're like, I don't care. Why wouldn't I just jump over that thing? I don't care about that thing. And uh, yeah, so I, I think like uh, all the big AAA open world games now have like pretty bad boss fights. Like Last of Us. No, they're not good. I don't even remember the boss fights from Last of Us. There's like a couple like boss type encounters and they're just like, whatever. They're the most oh. like, whatever shit. Uh, the big bloater in the basement. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah, it looked cool. Yeah. And that's 
kind of their purpose. Yeah. They're not really there to be um a super significant challenge that's like, you know. Yeah. It, it's it's more oh, like check out the graphics on this, which I'm fine with, you yeah. know. If it yeah. looks cool and is, you know, it, it, you know, cinematic, we keep saying that, but Yeah. If it looks cool, I I'm fine with it. But I think you're right. Yeah. Um sometimes bosses can be outdated. In in Death Stranding, it did feel like they were kind of shoehorned in because you did boss fights with the beat. If you got captured, yeah. you had to fight a boss. And if right. you weren't prepared for it, you were kind of screwed, but you could always run away. Yes. And I don't know. There was certain that there were certain points that were kind of low spots. And one of them is that uh, it felt like you could run away kind of easily, mm-hmm. but if you were carrying a lot of gear, it was hard, you know? Yeah. So I think it's that balance issue again. So I, yeah. I give it, you know, I'm willing to, to overlook that. Yeah. I just think like in open world games, the bosses, it's kind of a weird proposition because you're just like, I like that you can run away from the BT encounters in Death Stranding because it fits the logic of the game. The logic of the game is that why wouldn't I just run away from this? So when they stick you in a boss encounter and like you can't run away, it, it breaks the game's internal logic and it gives you that moment of like, okay, so why is this happening? Like, why am I doing this? It's like, you don't know. I don't know. Kill the thing. He's right there. He's huge. He's 10 feet tall. Kill him right now. It's like, <laughs> what? You know, you know, it's, it's important with these types of games that are so like ornately built and finely detailed that that like kind of internal logic persists throughout the game. So those moments can be kind of like, they break that uh, immersion. They break that persistence and you're just kind of like taken out of it for a second. But there, yeah, sometimes they're just cool. That big 10 foot tall boss in Death Stranding is objectively cool. Like, yeah. That's fucking cool. And you should kill it with a rocket launcher. Also, once again, objectively cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can prove that's cool. The further back you go in Kojima's catalog, the more the bosses like rock a lot and they also like they're a big part of that cinematic feel and like you know Metal Gear Solid 3 I mean all the horror elements are just concentrated into like the bosses and they're so cool so like Metal Gear Solid 5 I guess to kind of go there for a second since like I'm liking the structure of going backwards through all of Kojima's games Metal Gear Solid 5 it was interesting to play after this training because you see it has a lot of the same horror elements which are mostly just aesthetic in enemies so you've got those like ghost guys you know and like you've got like the main antagonist and you've got all stuff where it's like okay we're we're taking sort of aesthetics of horror movies in this game and it's like we're just putting it in here but i guess i felt like that game similar to metal gear solid 4 which we kind of briefly talked about before recording i don't think gameplay wise has a, a large horror element in it like i think it really is just more of like a procedural like shooting slash sneaking type action game. Like I don't know if it's five. Yeah. I guess for the horror. um, Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the, the skulls are not very scary or whatever. Um, Zero is not really scary in MGS five. Zero is really scary in ground zeros. Yeah. I think because, well, maybe not, maybe not super scary, but the, the, the setting for that game where it's like Guantanamo, basically. I mean, yeah. it is. It is yeah. Guantanamo. And um, Guantanamo. Guantanamo? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Gitmo, for short. Gitmo. As we, All right. When I was in high school. Geronimo. Yeah. When I was in high school and they were sending lots of uh, 
Arab people to Guantanamo, we'd make a lot of Gitmo jokes. You know, you gotta you gotta mask the pain with humor. <laughs> Gitmo, Gitmo, Gitmo. <laughs> um, yeah, that setting, like yeah. he, his horror in Metal Gear has always been kind of like trauma, like mm-hmm. war and trauma, and that opening with um, there's like a song. Uh, it's it's like a protest song. Um, yeah. Here's to you, Nicola and Bart. Yeah. It's like... Uh, it's about Sacco and Vanzetti. Yeah. Yeah. Italian anarchists, right? Yep. And um, that intro, and then like, you know, they're like caging children. You know, you got to go rescue Chico and Paz. Mm-hmm. That is like, there's horror there. Oh, yeah. Even though it's completely grounded in reality, besides that like Zero like doesn't have a face and is like a weird, you know, monster guy. Uh-huh. Other than that, that's like... You know that's real. There, yeah. that's based in in reality. And then the ending of that game, uh, there's like body horror, right? Because she has a bomb inside of her. They pull it out of her stomach, mm-hmm. and then she's like, "I've got another bomb inside me," and like she jumps out of the the helicopter and explodes. Yeah. Like they don't show you anything but they um, you know the implication of where the bomb is and it's yeah. it's like body horror it's kind of like i don't know i just remember w- watching that and being like whoa that was brutal like yeah well that's the interesting thing about five is that like you see the duality of how kojima uses horror because like in ground zeros it's this super realistic shocking thing and that was actually why i didn't want to play the game for a long time because i felt like the way that he addressed those themes was just like not cool kind of where it's just like yeah it's like oh we're just gonna have this like young girl get like sexually assaulted in the game and it's like okay did you earn the use of that did you need to do that like what was like the point of this it felt it felt flip because when you actually start playing so like if you don't know ground zero if you're listening to this you have to know this shit what am i saying but ground zeros <laughs> is like the the prelude it's almost like the chapter zero of Metal Gear Solid 60 dollar game that it was a demo for <laughs> was it really sold for that much i think it was i want to say it was at le- it was at least forty dollars. That's insane. Because I remember, short. I remember buying it and and finishing it in a couple hours and being like, "Huh, <laughs> <laughs> nice, <Yeah. laughs> nice, dude." Yeah, because now it's free when you buy Metal Gear Solid Five, and that feels more apt. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a full game at all. No, it's a it's a level. It's a one level. It's a one yeah. shot. And um, that's crazy. yeah, it was expensive. That sucks. <laughs> It was funny. I was I bought it the first. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're yeah. a fan and you you buy it, you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy though because it's like a throwback. In my eyes, it's a throwback to Metal Gear Solid Two, where the whole tanker opening was the demo. Yeah, and that demo was free with. Well, you no, because I think you had to buy Zone of the Enders to play it. So actually, it's the same fucking thing. I mean, sure, you got a whole other game, but a lot of people bought Zone of the Enders and didn't want it or like it. (laughs) I mean, I like Zone of the Enders, but like at that time, people were literally buying Zone of the Enders for the tanker demo of Metal Gear Solid 2. I would say the tanker, well, was it that much longer than Ground Zeroes? Probably not. Uh, No, no, it's It's pretty quick. I think it's maybe a tiny bit longer, but it's roughly, I would say they're the same. Yeah, they're same in... Same in spirit, pretty much. Yeah. Same kind of deal. So that's kind of freakish. But they did it again. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh, fuck you, Konami. You guys are assholes. They just love that shit. <laughs> Buy my demo. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like, so the 
this is the prelude to Metal Gear Solid Five. In the prelude, it's this super realistic, horrifying thing based on like child soldiers and war and stuff, which is a repetitive theme within Metal Gear Solid. And you boot up Metal Gear Solid Five, and it's like, you know, uh was it david s pumpkins from snl it's like basically the the ghost guys are just like (laughs) they have like you know skulls on their faces and they're like you know whenever they show up fog appears and like spooky music plays and it's like so the horror element in that game is just very over the top dorky it's fun but it's like not serious but then when you play ground zeroes the horror is like serious you know what i mean and like i feel like that's the duality within Metal Gear Solid and that's what sometimes I have like a problem with it because it's just it feels unearned to just like have this mostly goofy game and at the end be like oh also child soldiers exist in this universe and it's like they do huh you know (laughs) it's like is that like a necessary part of this story where people also have like their brother living in their arm and wield like laser katanas like it's just (laughs) you know there's a contrast and i could see i could see an argument for the contrast but it always just hit me like super weird yeah i don't remember the the child soldier you know themes getting really explored in mgs5 i I know there was uh liquid was a kid raiden was a kid too that's at the end of MGS2. Yeah. yeah. I think it was better explored in MGS2 as the the child soldier. Maybe because you get his, it's his backstory, right? So there's some of that. I um, do need to play that game again, I think. Because like, there's elements of it that I've gone back and forth on. But now thinking about in the abstract, Raiden being a child soldier is like kind of cool because he's like an empty person without a personality. And it's like, Oh, I guess that is like an interesting take on like what would happen to you if you went through that. But then it's also, you know, it's like, I don't know. I go back and forth on it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a hard subject to tackle. Yeah. And, and he and he does kind of just use it as window dressing a little bit. Yeah, that's it, what I'm saying, where it's like if you're going to put something that heavy in your game, you have to like explore it. Yeah. Otherwise, don't put it in your game. It's not, I'm not trying to like make an argument for like censorship or like I'm the PC police. It's just like. If you're going to, there are certain things that are so heavy that if you put them in your story, you owe it to that subject and your audience to like explore it. Otherwise, if you're not going to just don't put it in there, you know? Yeah. I don't remember what he does. I just remember he, you, you uh, save some child soldiers. They come to your base in MGS five and then there's liquid when he's a kid. And that's, that's all I remember. Yeah. I don't really remember them like digging into it at all. Yeah, that that's part of why it's so weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, oh, why is this here? MGS5 also like, man, I have so many questions about MGS5 where it's like, is like, was it intentional that your character is just like straight up like a warlord? And then oh, it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you think that's intentional commentary that like you and the enemy are exactly the same? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I th- I think so. Um, yeah. Okay. Because you're, uh, I don't know. I've always thought the idea of, because um, this has gone back to the, the like the very beginning games, is that, or maybe Metal Gear Two, I think, is where it started. Yeah. But uh, Big Boss wanting to create a nation of soldiers that was like completely, you know, sovereign. Yeah. That I think that's the coolest idea. I, I really dig that idea mm-hmm. because. Um, it's such a weird like you know if you if you are these like mercenaries right and you have you really don't give a shit you don't have an allegiance you know to some 
nationalist cause, right? You're just that's your, you're just who you are, and that's what you do, right? Uh, to break off like that and be like, all right, we're just our own nation of like soldiers, yeah, is a really cool concept. Does he? I think he explores the trauma of war pretty well. Yeah, I don't know if he explores, you know, your character being a warlord and the implications of that. Uh, I don't know if he super delves into that. Visually, he does because right. you know MGS Five. The 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 shittier you are, the more you look like a devil, right? Um, and you're just like caked in blood, and it looks. The problem is, is that anytime uh, you know something is evil uh, in media, it kind of looks cool. It looks super cool. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You yeah. want that devil tail, you know? You yeah. want you want to nuke people so you can get the ne- devil tail, right? Yeah. It's it's real. It, that's the that's the other thing is that I think you were talking about the kind of like military fetishism. Mm-hmm. That's another thing where I think he does a good job, but at the same time, it's kind of inherent inherent to the to represent representing stuff in a medium. It's like he's saying war is bad, right. but you are participating in that he comments on it he's like you like all the killing he's talking to you the player right so he comments on it but at the same time it's like you can't escape the fact that you're playing a a war game where you are a badass and you like it because you are a badass i think he does a good job of pointing that out Mm -hmm. but it is kind of inherent to you know video games and movies yeah for sure it's a huge problem and i think it is something yeah it's like he tackles it in an interesting way but I guess to me, my issue was that I don't know if he ever fully like lands it. So like in Metal Gear Solid 5 and 4, both kind of have a similar idea, which is like, what makes you a hero? You know, and in 5, 5 is so interesting in a conceptual way because basically you are, the whole premise of it is that you're going to achieve world peace by starting Blackwater. which is horrifying right it's like okay you're just a private military contractor they even use that language they say that outright like you're a pmc you started this thing that's how you're gonna you're gonna achieve world peace that's psychotic and then you look at the bad guy in the game it's like what does the bad guy want he's the same he's the exact same person as you he almost doesn't even have different goals or motivations he's like the cia right yeah cypher is the cia from what i yeah and so it's like he just has different means and allegiances he's not actually different from you and so i think like that's a really interesting commentary on like war games and like action heroes where it's like okay you think you're a hero because the story tells you you're a hero but like why though (laughs) you know if you go around senselessly senselessly murdering people are you a hero if you yeah. start Blackwater, are you a hero? Yeah, I don't know. Was he try? What, the, so it's all about the like the boss's will or whatever yeah. they talk about that in all the games. It, I can't remember what exactly the boss's will is. That's I <laughs> is, think is it is and maybe that's the point is that like he the what I like and I might be getting this wrong because it's fucking convoluted, man. There's, all this shit is so it, convoluted. And it's there. The fact that we're even attempting this makes us heroes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I can't remember if they even explain what the boss's will is. I thought the boss's will was just that, that soldiers would be like, like self-governing or something like that, which makes, 
it kind of makes no sense, right? No. You can't have uh you can't have just a nation of soldiers if there's no war to for them to go fight in, right? Cuz then right. they're not really soldiers, right? Yeah. That's what I remember about the boss as well is that he just wanted to be like free of all these nations and their their bullshit like reasons for yeah. for putting them in battle, but at the same time, yeah, he creates his own, you know, he creates his own nation of mercenaries. And what do they do to get money? They go fight these proxy battles for other people. Right. Exactly. I think it's emblematic of something that shows up a lot in his writing for these games where like there's really tantalizing things just kind of left hanging, but he doesn't fully go in on it or like put a pin in it. You know what I mean? Which I think a lot of people who are big fans of these games and aren't critical of it, just say is like, well, it's good writing because he's not over explaining the point of the work. And it's like, yeah, that's technically true. But I also see that it, it kind of just comes off as a jumbled mess at times. And there's times when it's like, I'm inferring this really interesting theme or idea, but is that just inference? Or is that a real thing that he intended? You know? And it's I also, think I think you know? sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, because uh so I was I read a book about um, MGS2, and they said that he directly, one of his influences was this uh, novel called The City of Glass, which is this like American, it's like a deconstruction of the American like noir detective novel. Okay. And so MGS2 is like a deconstruction of the like American thriller, like spy thriller. Right. So, and, and that, like in that book, they talk all about like, kind of this person kind of like loses their identity in this like mystery. Right. Like at the end of the novel, the mystery didn't matter and they like go insane basically. Sure. <laughs> and that's MGS too, is oh, that yeah. like, kind uh, of the end of the that it doesn't really matter. Like he lost his identity, you know, he was being played and uh, you know, at the end of it, he like, he's like, Oh, I'm going to be my own person and, and decide who I am. Not like based on what that was like made out to be. Right. Right, which is more or less the ending of MGS2 with Raiden being like, oh, I have to be a person. This is not real. Yeah. You know, because it's not. He's in a simulation. Yeah. Just like we all are trapped in a simulation, obviously. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, big subscriber to simulation theory right here. So, uh, no, yeah, it's, it is interesting because it's like the references he makes and the things he does. It's like he gets it. Kojima gets it. He means it. But then there's this like moments in his older games where I was just like, I don't know if this is wrapped up. Like, give me an example. Well, okay, so like in MGS5, like there. You said older games. Okay, older <laughs> games. Okay, MGS2. Let's talk about MGS2. So in MGS2, there are multiple big themes. One one big theme is uh, sort of like being put into a program that is meant to put you through hell in order to like make you something. Because that's like essentially Ryan's journey. He unwittingly is put into a simulation or a recreation of, of Metal Gear Solid so they can make one new Solid Snake so they can make infinity Solid Snakes <laughs> off of it, right? Yeah, yeah. So like that's one theme. And then another theme is him trying to break out of it and become his own person. Another theme is how information spreads and how language can sort of become like viral. And that's actually really interesting because that game was so far before like memes were even a thing that it's like, oh, this is crazy. Like the way that they're talking about like genetic structure of language and how language can 
spread like a virus. That stuff is probably the most interesting part of that game. It's absolutely the most interesting part of the game. Like hands down, nothing even comes close. And then there's also this weird existential angst like by the guy Hideo Kojima about how like he doesn't want to make Metal Gear. And it's like he he basically does this weird like recreation of the movie End of Evangelion like within Metal Gear Solid 2 as like this weird like I'm stuck I don't know what to do this is all meaningless and so you've got all of these ideas and the end of the game there's a good moment of them on the bridge and Snake being like be your own person and Raiden being like yeah I'm gonna be my own person but then there's like another moment of yeah this big like terrorist attack thing that makes no sense and then there's like the post credits thing where they're like the patriots are like a supercomputer under the white house (laughs) and so that's what i mean is like when you're when you're when you're thinking about it later you can put it together into a thing that's like this makes sense this is coherent right but then when you're in it you're like what the fuck is this like what is the connection and that's why i mean as someone who like makes art i think I think so much about how you place things within a work and how you structure things within a work. And so then to see someone make stuff that sometimes just look like, just looks like smears. I kind of like, I don't want to say I get mad, but I'm, I'm kind of repulsed by it. I think I know what you mean. Cause at the end of MGS two, when it's just somehow snake just shows up and it's, it, it's him and Raiden just in the middle of the street and there's a crowd of people that are like not <laughs> reacting to the giant terrorist attack that just happened. Uh-huh. And they're having this like just one-on-one conversation. Heart where, to heart. Yeah. It's a very much like a, a after school special conversation where he's like, <laughs> you can choose your own path, you know, and all this stuff. And there's like, you know, piano music in the background. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. And I think, yeah, it goes back to the kind of anime logic right. where they're like, okay, this, cla- you know, giant cataclysmic event just happened and let's, we're going to have our little heart to heart. And it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense how, you know, they don't even explain how Sh- Snake just shows up. He's no. just like there at the end. And it almost feels like dreamlike in a weird way, the way he's yeah. like framed it. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. It's kind of sloppy. And I think that, yeah. I think that that is, you know, some people are turned off by that, obviously with Kojima is that he does, there's decisions he makes where you're like, is this sloppy? Yeah. Is this intentional? That's that's what bugs me. That's what I mean. It's just the uncertainty. And and the funny thing is like I'm not a person who's big on like certainty and storytelling. I love obtuse stories. I love things that end with uncertain endings. I love it when you leave it up to the viewer. But in order to pull that off, things have to be really tight in other areas. Like if this area is going to be loose, this area has to be tight. It's like fucking... You know, it's like you're tuning a snare drum or something. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, there has to be this equal tension across, you know? And I feel like that's the issue I have. Because, like, the core conceit of Metal Gear Solid 2 is so good. And if they had just stuck with those core ideas and made something that was really tight and impactful and, and just, like, snappy, I think it would have been, like, the best game ever. But the fact that it is so loose and messy, it just means that like, I don't know, to me, like I said, there's a, it turns me off and there's points where I'm once again, I'm just like, am I inferring this or is this meant to be this way? And that was the thing I felt about Metal Gear Solid 5 too, where it's just like, there's points where it's like, there's interesting ideas here, but am I just reading into this 
or is this the intention and is this like the way it's it was meant to be read you know i guess maybe i'm too hung up on on the artist's intention honestly like to to look at something this like crazy you know i think that's a good question to ask i mean mgs5 for me was like the most kind of um it, it that one to me feels like it's just like a, a series of vignettes almost uh, yeah. with the characters and stuff like i don't really understand why quiet's important i don't really know yeah. i don't understand her relationship with big boss yeah i kind of like try to you know put my own meaning into it like oh you know they're both she's like an assassin he's a super soldier they can't talk yeah. <laughs> but they have a relation like i don't really i don't really know so i think that you're right is that like sometimes it's just he wanted to do a cool character and and then kind of like spun this sloppy narrative out of it and so mgs5 you know there's people are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt so much so that they're like okay it's called the phantom pain and it's called that because he didn't have the money to complete it that's why you're left feeling like there's this you know this limb that is supposed to be there that was cut off and and it's like he gets away with it because he's just that type of uh like you know artist or auteur or whatever where people are just willing to read into it to 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 provide him with that that um out or that structure and i totally i i'm totally willing to do that with mgs5 i'm just like he called it the Phantom Pain, guys. You know, he didn't have the <laughs> the production budget because there's that missing check. Yeah, I'm I'm of that ilk where I can just, but but replaying the game, I'm I'm going through the story again, and it's just not as good as some of yeah. the other stuff like MGS One or Death Training. You know, it's just not as good. That's saying that's what bugs me because I'm not that kind of person. So to me, it's like, show me, dude. I'm fucking Missouri. I'm the show me state. Fucking <laughs> show me what the fuck you're up to. Like, if you're this great auteur, wrap everything up, put everything together. And like, I get, you know, and even like, okay, so I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I'm a huge David Lynch fan. And I honestly kind of resent myself for being such a huge David Lynch fan. Cause David Lynch is totally the guy who will just be like, yeah, I thought the monkey looked funny. And then people are like, <laughs> the monkey stands for capitalism, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> it drives me nuts. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, no, like I like David Lynch cause he's made this good, impactful art. He's also made a bunch of random ass bullshit. And like, I'm willing to kind of separate those things and kind of understand. But like, I think, you know, you have to, at some point, like sit down and analyze the thing and be like, okay, what is in the work? And what am I just adding to the work myself? And so I think that like for Kojima, like if you were going to compare Kojima to David Lynch, which I think is actually a pretty fair comparison, I think Kojima just has a few too many movies that are like Inland Empire. You know what I mean? Like it, like David Lynch has only made one thing like Inland Empire, a three hour, totally incoherent mess that people mythologize because they're like, it's about his struggles within the Hollywood studio structure. You know, uh, he's got one thing like that. See, I don't know Lynch very well. So. Yeah, but he's got one thing like that. Kojima's got like three things like that. And so I just have these moments of like, is Kojima genius? Is Kojima full of shit? I, I don't know. Th- well, th- what about that? Do you think that if he had been given more of a 
I mean, he was, you know, I guess you could say that he's on a tight leash. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he can kind of do whatever he wants. Now. now well, I mean, and in tight leash as in he can do whatever he wants as long as it was metal gear right that's which that's kind of Mm -hmm. that kind of sets you up for that type of situation almost because like metal gear solid 2 is supposed to be the last one right yeah and it very clearly was a a kind of a middle finger to the to them wanting a sequel right and him being like i'm done with this right and Three was good because it was a prequel and it was a different thing. It was a you know s- same character, different character. <laughs> yeah, basically and the same guy but different. Pretty and different approach. Very different. And then and then four, I four on the story level just makes no sense because it's just every every iteration he's retconned stuff to uh-huh. make it fit into the same timeline even though they're not supposed to be because right. he never really intended it or at least, you know, I don't know, but it, it seems like he just never really intended it to be this like coherent timeline. Right. Right. And MGS four, the reason why it's so fucking haphazardly all over the place feels like that, you know, he's taken all these characters that are from completely different works and tried to jam them into one and have it make sense. So then you do have revolver ocelot who has, you know, uh, uh, you know, psycho engineered himself to be liquid. What the fuck? <laughs> like that made no sense in MGS two, right? And now it's like now he just is liquid ocelot, right? <laughs> yeah. So you just and uh, yeah. So that one, that one is not a masterpiece by any means, right? <laughs> it's it's pretty yeah. bad. And so I, but I, I guess I going at what you're saying is like am i just you know am i projecting this onto the work or am is the work itself good mgs4 is like objectively bad in my opinion yeah because i think it just suffers from oh remember that one character johnny who shits himself all the time yeah we're gonna make him a character and by the way he's gonna marry meryl <laughs> because that needs to happen why not for some reason yeah which is funny and like I get a kick out of it a little bit, but like as a plot point, it's not good. It's it's terrible. <laughs> it's it's dog shit, dude. It's like yeah. it it like pulls you. It would you know talking about being grounded in like reality or like anime, you know, it, it kind of pulls you out of the work almost completely. Yeah, but, for sure. So okay, MGS four is really really ridiculous, and I said in the Death Stranding episode that I think it's the worst one. And I immediately got pushback. What? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? There's, there are people that, um, I, I see people online all this, all the time say it's their favorite one. I'm like, how? Yeah. How is it your favorite one? I just, I feel like, you know, talking about these games is actually really funny. Cause like, I thought we were going to start at the beginning talking about Kojima games. And now instead we start at the end and we're working backwards, which I'm, I love, I'm loving it. <laughs> but it's funny because like, uh, when you go to the end, you're kind of talking about what makes a good modern Kojima game. And he's been making games for so long. And it starts in this like almost like prehistoric era of like video games now, right? And it goes towards this modern age. When you talk about what makes a good modern Kojima game, like none of those qualities are present within Metal Gear Solid 4. Like it has one interesting central idea which is like sort of 
I mean, once again, it's similar to five where it's like, how do you bring about like peace through war, I guess. But it's it's so incoherent. And even the game itself, like the gameplay styles shifting up, it's incoherent. The story, the way it moves is incoherent. The way it tries to just be like a clip show. It's like a clip show for the Metal Gear Solid series. <laughs> like a you know? Seinfeld clip show it's like, for, for yeah, Metal Gear. Yeah, dude. It's like when you get to the end of like a mediocre sitcom and they have to do a show where they're like, <laughs> do you remember that time that we went to the amusement park? And it goes, and then they show you a clip of something you've already seen and you're just like, what? You know, in a sitcom, it's bad. But in the context of Metal Gear Solid, it's like, why would you, why would you do this? I, I don't know. I, I've heard like, theory that you know it's old snake so it's all about the tiredness of the franchise and like that's a theme that's mm-hmm. like intentionally in there which i kind of get but um i don't know the story's hot garbage I yeah mean, <laughs> well and that's another thing too so i talked about that in the death stranding episode where it's like expressing artistic fatigue or frustration is a huge gamble because it is something that's worth exploring and talking about within art, but it's also a, it comes off as really hacky a lot of times and B you can make something really horrible and joyless. And like, I don't know. Like, I think a good illustration of that is the album, um, the ugly organ by cursive. Like when I was a kid, I thought that album was great. But then when I actually became a musician and I'm like a fucking adult and I go and listen to it, it's like art is hard. Really? You made a song (laughs) called art is hard, dude. (laughs) Fucking, you know, just fucking get to it. Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? It's like, it was just like, so it was absurd to me to like revisit it. And I think that like Kojima definitely like rides that line sometimes with the meta shit where it's like, I get what you're trying to do, but yeah, that game is just a mess. I, I think you're right that the gameplay and the story, like the cutscenes, have never been further apart yeah. than that game. For sure. And it's almost like um, the modern trend where it's like kind of let's put out a sequel that has, you know, elements from the previous stuff to kind of get the the fans to be excited and, and people will be like, you know, they'll clap and they'll say, oh my God, you know, um, Metal Gear Ray is fighting Metal Gear Rex. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Which, you know, that is totally what like Hollywood is like now. And he did that in MGS4. Right. And it was kind of cool to, you know, see that. But it is really that thing where, oh, Snake, old Snake's going back to Shadow Moses. Yeah. Why? (laughs) and like that was probably the best part of that game was like mm-hmm. going back to Shadow Moses. It was cool. It was kind of atmospheric. The right. boss fight was probably the best boss fight out of all those. Where, you know, I can't remember what the it was. Some wolf, you know, it was a play on Sniper Wolf. In certain instances, it was cool because there was m- new mechanics. Like the whole shtick was that you were on a living battlefield, right? So you were like sneaking around when all these other things were going on, right? Um. But it just didn't have as much of an impact as the like innovations in previous games, right? Because cool, you're it's an interactive battlefield. That's a cool you know thing to do, but it just never you never felt it because all of a sudden you'd be at the end of whatever you know little level you went to, and then it all right now I have to watch a twenty minute cutscene. Yeah, exactly. It, and it, I think I'll just keep coming back to the word incoherent. It's just like totally incoherent. And it just doesn't really get to a point. Because even like 
four introduces those ideas about like private military contractors and all that kind of stuff that show up in five really heavily, but they're just done in a way where it's just like, I don't know. It's just an image. Like there isn't really a ton of substance to what he's saying where it's like, Oh, like all guns must be approved by this like world government. It's like, okay. (laughs) Like, you know, where are you going with this? You know what I mean? There was something about like the war economy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess the one mechanic that kind of, was playing on that was um you could like customize your guns really heavily yeah and there was the like buying stuff from drebin right i just remember the monkey noise every time you would buy something (laughs) crazy monkey noise and um that's it i mean the yeah the other themes do get lost in okay you've got vamp back Uh and vamp like had some emotional relationship with Naomi Hunter, who is back. All right. Um, you've got Raiden back. Right. Which Raiden gets his, like, you know, cool. He's cool now. Yeah, he's cool now. Yeah. He's, guys, he's cool now. <laughs> guys, he smokes. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's, you know, he's the new cyborg ninja. Yeah. Um, and he is kind of cool. And there was, there's some cool action scenes in there with him. And, you know, he gets his, you know, day in the sun or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I just don't like, I do remember the plot, um, but I remember it being like, even, you know, thinking at the time, just how convoluted it was because it's all retcons, you know, right. it's, it's taking all these characters that are trying to, uh, that, that all had better games uh-huh. <laughs> featuring them and then shoving them into one game and being like, okay, this makes sense. Like, yeah. And, and <clears throat> big boss shows up at the end and. I don't even remember like snake kills himself. That's all I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely like Kojima doing like playing GI Joe's with his own series where he's just like, okay, now these guys fight. Oh, now these guys fight, you know? And it's like, okay. But yeah, I feel like a lot of it too just gets lost, which is something that's easy to happen in video games in general, but especially in his games where it's like, you can have an idea like the war economy and it kind of gets subsumed under this gameplay mechanic that's just like kind of normal like seventh gen action game bullshit. Yeah. It's like okay, well, if you want to shine through as a mechanic, you have to actually put some something behind it. There has to be some kind of deeper layer to it that people can connect to or whatever. And like, I think that to me is kind of like what's missing from that game and its themes. I think five does a better job, and then Death Stranding just like perfects that idea of like the mechanics have meaning, the world has meaning, everything you do has some sort of like meaning behind it, and it all reinforces like a central theme. You yeah. know, like what is the central theme of Metal Gear Solid 4? Somebody, please tell me what the fucking central theme of that goddamn game uh, is. Uh war. You can't say war never changes. That's cheating. <laughs> that's what they, this is one of the first lines of the game. It's the central theme. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another thing too that like, I mean, war, I've said this before, like war games or war movies or war anything is hard because it all goes back to these big, broad cliches and they're not like bad. Like they're just truisms, right? It's like, like war is hell. That's true. But like, they also don't like have a lot of impact in the modern world because it's like they just we've lived it we've seen it it's it's done what's done is done you know yeah i think the one theme that i remembered the best was kind of war being uh 
mechanical or like I'm trying to think of the better word. Um, automated. Yeah. Like these proxy. I just remember there was a emphasis on the proxy battles just being endless, right. which I think that is definitely happening. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got Ukraine now. Yeah. And then also the automation, like the literal, literal technology of warfare is more and more automated. And in MGS4, you've got, you know, it all comes down to back to nanobots, which is kind of a cop out, yeah. you know, tropey thing. Um, but, you know, you've got drones on the battlefield, which were those like cow things yeah you know? and um and the soldiers being yeah like kind of programmed through nanobots right and i remember liking that theme and like the proxy kind of wars and all of that but like you said i don't think it i don't think it was clear enough those were you know to the side and then you bring in all these characters who all have weird motivations because they're they're not clear. The story is very jumbled. Yeah, that almost take away from those themes because those are on the periphery and and you weren't focusing on those. You're focusing on the drama of Snake fighting Liquid on top of a you know a carrier, right? And they're having this fist fight and they're you know right. a twenty minute fist fight where they're. <laughs> And then they almost yeah. kiss each other or something. There's some. I, I maybe I'm making that up. But no, I, no, there is a little smooch. He goes, isn't like, there? Isn't there something little, like yeah, that? A little tiny, like in there. Yeah. Like what the fuck? It's yeah. I mean, that's the th- like I. I think if there's like a a theme that's recurring throughout these discussions, that in my opinion, Kojima has his like good impulses and his bad impulses. Oh yeah, and they're so binary. They're almost like he has an angel and a devil on his shoulder, like whispering to him as he's like writing these games. And it's like, you know, I think Death Stranding is all the good impulses. Oh, what about Princess Beach? <laughs> like, was that a good impulse or a bad impulse? That was that was a little bit of Metal Gear Solid Four. In <laughs> that whole the whole. I mean, end, it's funny. It's it, fucking funny. But th- see, that's the thing though. Is like even in that game, that stuff lands a lot better because it's like the direction of the scene is so good, and there's real people like playing the characters. So, like that happened, and I was like, I groaned. I audibly went. Ugh. And then it's followed by that weird scene of them running. That's like so bizarre. But like at that point, it was so weird. Everything that was happening on screen was so like insanely weird that I was just like, okay, I kind of like this. Like this that, is so weird. In, it felt intentional. And, yeah. and so it was a funny moment. And like, a you know, that it, it's so dreary. The plot, you know, we were at a, the, the, point that we're at in the plot it was like cutting the tension a little bit by throwing in like a joke like that because you had been like focusing on the seriousness seriousness of it for so long right that you're like all right it's a little comedic relief which i feel like the fact that um those moments do land as often as they do with him with like you know uh westernizing the translation all that yeah i think is a testament to like his um tendencies you know yeah like he he does go for that humorous moment a lot yeah and the fact that that they do land when they do is like kind of amazing (laughs) you know yeah for sure but i think yeah it's like you know like i said that in 
in the Death Stranding episode that I did alone that I was like, I think a lot of those weird little moments land because of the good direction and the choice to use real actors because they just feel more intentional and they feel more like, okay, this is a weird thing. And like, like he cites a lot of authors that he's influenced by. The big one for Death Stranding was uh, Kobo Abe. And like, I love Kobo Abe. He's like one of my favorite authors. I read a bunch of his plays and a couple novels like when I was in college and it just like blew my mind. And he's like a very weird writer um, and like very weird, like surreal, absurdist kind of stuff. And so when those moments land, you're like, okay, this is almost like a modern version of that. Or like, you know, if people aren't familiar with Kobo Abe at all, which like they absolutely should just go find whatever Kobo Abe book is in English that you can get within the next couple of days, buy it, read it. It's <laughs> so good. Um, the specific story that uh, Kojima referenced as an influence on Death Stranding, the rope and the stick thing, yeah, yeah. was actually not in English. And then Tim Rogers, the video games journalist, uh, translated it in English. So you can find online his translation of that story and read it, which is cool. Um, and everybody should Kobo Abe is the man. Um, everyone should just like read dude. (laughs) You know what's what's fucking cool is fucking reading dude. Um, but like he cites all the like authors like that. Sometimes I can't think of the other ones that he cited, but like he cites things like that sometimes. And on the one hand, you're like, I don't see it. But then moments like that, you're like, okay, I do kind of see it. You know, or to compare it to Lynch, right? Lynch is another good comparison. Once again, if you're not familiar with some of these like Japanese authors he's citing, where it's like Lynch has these horrible moments of utter darkness, and then he has these moments where like a kid randomly break dances in the first episode of Twin Peaks for no reason. It's never addressed. It's just a thing that happens. And you're just like, okay. You know what I mean? And like when it's done right, those moments land like that. And it's like part of a larger surrealist odd tapestry. And when they land wrong, it's like, what? You know, like what what are you doing? What is the point here? But I think that like Death Stranding, like I said, to go back to the angel and devil metaphor, it's like Death Stranding is all the most of the good tendencies that Kojima has. So when he does weird shit, it lands. Metal Gear Solid 5, I think, is 50-50. It's got some of his weird misogynist stuff in there. It's got some of his bad storytelling tendencies, but it's also got some cool ideas and some very cool stuff going on. Metal Gear Solid 4 is like the pure infusion straight into your veins of all of his bad tendencies. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm, and that's the thing is I'm not saying it's, it's a horrible game or it sucks and nobody should play it. I'm just like within the context of his work, I think it falls short and it's just like, it's got an incoherent story. It's got way too much going on. It's got too many characters. The cutscenes are too long and they're just fluff. They're pure fluff. There's all like I referenced before we started recording, I was talking about the fucking chapter where it turns into a noir story for no reason. And it's like, oh, people, I remember people being like, that's a snatcher reference because he's wearing like an overcoat. I'm like, <laughs> what? No, I think this is just bad. And like, he's, why? Obviously, he's wearing a trench coat, which is a, a, yeah, obviously that's a snatcher reference. Yeah, obviously, of course. <laughs> Iconic uh, snatcher trench coat. Yes, <laughs> that's all that could mean. Even though he's been putting the MK2, the little robot guy, in like every game he does forever. It's like, that's the fucking snatcher reference. True story. 
I named my first iPhone MK2 as a Snatcher reference, and I've just never changed it. So every iPhone I get is just like it imports my old profile. It's called MK2. Hell so yeah, <laughs> my iPhone is my MK2. I think this is actually another funny thing is that longtime listeners of this podcast are probably just now realizing that I'm like a huge Kojima fan because I've talked so much shit on Kojima. You, yeah, even for the little I've heard you talk about Kojima, I I've picked that up. Yeah, I talk you're, shit you're on. You're skeptic. You're yeah. skeptic. But it's because like these were my favorite games ever. I played Snatcher and I was like, well, this is the best game ever. I had the original Metal Gear Solid on NES and I was like, this is the best game ever. Oh, even on NES? You thought it was the, the bad best version. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was like, you don't fight? You sneak? That's so cool. I feel asleep. That's so cool. I never got past the dogs on the NES. Oh, uh, yeah. I, 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 I quit really early, but I've, I've played the MSX. And, and yeah. Metal Gear 2 is like, on that hardware, is amazing. Yeah. Metal Gear 2 on the MSX is, is fucking bomb. I think the first time I played that was on the, the re-release of 3 that has it as like a bonus. Dude, that shit is just so fucking fire, dude. Yeah. I love that shit. But yeah, it's like, I don't know. I, I yeah. So I have a long history with it, which is why I have so many like, uh, you know, criticisms of it. But anyway, in Metal Gear Solid 4, it's just like, it's it's fucking incoherent. It's bad. It's all the stuff I don't like. And so even like, well, you know, well, now this is two parts. So next time <laughs> we'll get to Metal Gear Solid 2. And like, that's a game I have a lot of criticisms about of once again. But I think that comes from a similar place of like, I love things about Metal Gear Solid 2. And I think that it could have been, for me personally, easily the best in the series. But then there's all these other choices that happen where I'm just like... What about as just a game? Because, like, Metal Gear Solid 4 has, for me, is the worst because it fails both on being a game and being, like, a story, right? Yeah, yep. And, And literally, that's the only one that I consider not really worth playing every once in a while like every other every other game i've played multiple times it's a slog mgs4 i most recent kind of go through that uh the most recent time i tried to experience that game was i just went and looked it up on youtube to watch like the movie version yeah because i the gameplay literally is that much of an afterthought Mm -hmm. almost yeah there are cool parts in that game i remember like the uh the like first chapter um, where you are on like that interactive battlefield is, is pretty cool, but it's very short from yeah. what I remember. It's, it's not that long. Then you go to that um, section where uh, I think it's, I want to say like South America. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly, but every, the way it, it's, it's split up into chapters more so than the other ones. Yeah. So you're changing locations you're kind of changing like the feel. Like you said, there's just this noir chapter dropped in, which bunch of driving in that chapter also. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, there's it's it's you're wearing like plain clothes snake, right? <laughs> which is that there's a joke somewhere in there. Yeah. But you're plain clothes snake and um you are just like tailing somebody. And it's yeah. not the sneaking is not that engaging from what no. I remember. And then yeah, then it's like a rail shooter at the end. Yeah. And then you fight a boss on like the top of a tower. And that's the end of that chapter. So every chapter is like divorced from like a coherent like gameplay experience almost. Yeah. And then the last chapter, yeah, you 
you sneak onto Arsenal gear, not Arsenal gear, but like you sneak onto whatever the tanker or whatever you're the carrier that you're on. And then um, the people the always talk about the uh, the hallway scene. Yeah. Which, yeah, you got to crawl through this hallway. And it was kind of like emotionally intense. Yeah. Because it's like him dying. Right. And you have to like, you know, you're it's not a cut scene. You're controlling it. Right. But at the end of the day, you're just crawling through a hallway. You're, you know, you're just pushing well, forward. You know, you, yeah. it's not that awesome. It's no, that was my whole take on that game. The hallway scene is like the perfect encapsulation of how I feel about that game where it's like they really took out a lot of what makes Metal Gear Solid games unique and they tried to do a very cinematic seventh gen game. Like I played that game not long, not that long after I had played like Gears of War. And I was like, man, there's like way too much Gears of War in this game. And then <laughs> I like, would have never guessed that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like the shooting parts and everything just felt very Gears of War to me. And then like the parts like you're talking about where it's like they tried to do this blend of like cinema and gameplay just felt very straightforward. I didn't like feel that I needed to be playing the game. It's exactly what you're saying where it's like we didn't know at the time. But now like you can look up whatever game the movie and you can watch the movie of it it's a game much better suited to that. It, it just, you're not frustrated. You're not like dealing with all the weird issues with it. You're not just waiting for it to get on with it. It just, it's just a thing you watch on TV. And I would probably watch that before I would play that game again. Cause it's just like, yeah, like, I don't know. I just felt like the gameplay was not that strong and it did lack a lot of things that make the game unique. Like I said in that death Stranding episode, I feel like one aspect of Metal Gear Solid is that every game has like a strong like systems component to it. So like when you go back to the older games, there's like the stealth system, right? And then like there's tweaks to the combat system and things like that. When you get to four, it's like, I don't really feel like there are strong systems or at least strong systems that distinguish it from other games at the time. Five returns to that because five is just pure chaos with systems imposed over top of it, right? It's a lot more like the Hitman games, which I'm a huge fan of. Like I love those games. And those games are all just like, Here's a bunch of systems. Try to do your objective. And it's really fun. But like with four, it's this weird tension between like there are systems, but there's also a lot of just like linear bullshit. There's a lot of shooting and it just doesn't do anything for me personally. I, I don't think the systems in four even distinguish themselves from the other games in the series because it's, you know, it's pretty much the basic systems that you've gotten used to. And then he throws in, you know, some other stuff Right. Okay, Octo Camo. Yeah. That was cool, but it's not that different. I right. mean, it there there are cool elements to it. Um and there's like those scripted moments where like he like, you know, pretends to be a statue or something. And that's cool, but at the same time, like I like I said, I don't think it differentiates it enough. Yeah. None of those are memorable enough where I'm like, you know, this was a high point in the series to highlight um and i know people say that it's like their favorite one but why yeah i don't get because it's the climax like it's the climax of the story well that some people really like like that like i feel like that's like with sequels in hollywood there are people that like you know the the rise of skywalker because it's it's a it's an ending to a decades-long story 
that is terrible, but it's still <laughs> the ending. Yeah. So there's resolute, like there's whatever resolution there is, there is that. And that's MGS four is like the resolution of snake. Mm-hmm. And he did like, he does have some, you know, emotional, um, you know, content there at the end that some people apparently like, which is yeah. mind boggling to me. Yeah. I'm in the same boat, but I think you actually are onto something really interesting. You said earlier and you just referenced it again, where like the trend in Hollywood now with Marvel movies and with star Wars is that you do this long con, you build up to this big finish, like Avengers Endgame, you know, rise of Skywalker, like all this shit you build up to it. So people are so hyped that they watch it and it just doesn't even matter what it is. They're just like, yes you know like that fucking rocked dude <laughs> and it's funny because that's exactly what he did with this because like Metal Gear Solid 2 basically ends on like multiple cliffhangers then he does Metal Gear Solid 3 which is a flashback you know does not continue the story and then years later does Metal Gear Solid 4 and he was like this is the big finish and that was why I was so disappointed with it because I was like okay cool we're gonna see where this weird bizarre story goes and the answer is everywhere. Like, what do you want? It's in there. It's all in there. But it's it doesn't go anywhere because of that. It's almost an impossible task to, yeah. to um, you know, put a capstone on all those loose ends. I mean, it's right. just like to fit them into one narrative and make it work was going to be hard. So he had a challenge in front of him. And that's, right. you know, that's what he was basically chained to was, you know, this series and making it work and making mm. an ending that that worked. Um, so I guess you can make an argument that given the unwieldy nature of the narrative, he did successfully like bring an end to it. Right. Um, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there is a lot of like people just hyped that, like you're saying that it was just like the end of the series. But then when you break it down, it's like, this isn't a good ending and this doesn't really make any sense. And like, it doesn't really have, to me, it doesn't have the feel of the series or his work. And I think that was the big thing where it's just like, it just, it doesn't hit the notes, you know? And that was like, I'm always, I'm always going to come down hard on that game because of that, you know, like, yeah. And it's well, just, I, the, I think it's a testament that I can't even remember how it fucking ends. Yeah. I, oh, for sure. I, I remember big boss is alive. They mm-hmm. thought he was dead because they were trying to get his remains, trying to get his body. And then it turned out he was that wasn't his body. Right. <laughs> so, and, and I don't remember exactly what the reveal was with big boss. And then I know that snake is going to kill himself and, and that's it. That's all I remember. I don't remember anything else. I, yeah. I think he died. He's supposed to die because of Fox die. Right. Right. They, they told him that, um, that, you know, you've got four years to live or something like that. And, but at, as, as to the actual ending of that, story it's been a while since i played it yeah who and, knows uh, i don't remember he fights liquid ocelot on i remember a, that on a carrier they have an epic 20 minute fight yeah there's a little smooch in there there's just a little bit of you know <laughs> you know just a little love that they give each other <laughs> right and i don't remember anything else and that's not how a series should end you should remember yeah how it fucking ends yeah and like you could say the same thing about like a rise of Skywalker. I remember that she like says I'm Ray Skywalker at the end. That's it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they defeat yeah. the bad guys. Like that's Right. Well, and it's just like if you compare that to like Death Stranding, 
You remember the end of that game? I remember oh, yeah. all three endings. Like when it keeps, you feel like it's ending and it's like not. I remember all of them because they were great moments. They were super well set up and super well delivered. And they left you with like questions like is yeah. the death stranding really over you and you're like what's going to happen next with these characters i mean yeah and it had an emotional impact because you're like holy shit you know you developed this kind of like relationship with this um you know child that you were carrying the entire time and and yeah it, it worked you know? yeah you're about to hear spoilers for the ending of death stranding you have now been warned have a nice day Well, I think too, like, I love the, I love the ambiguity of the ending. Cause I was thinking about that earlier today when I was like, you know, I have my own interpretation of the ending and someone else could have a totally different interpretation of it. And it's done like so well. Cause like, I feel like the point of the ending and the point of the game is that like, even if you're just delaying the inevitable and nothing you did had any like real meaning or impact it's still important to do it like even if it's just for yourself like you have to try you have to keep on keeping on like i think that's the theme of the game personally because like if you look at it i mean sam he doesn't really do anything like considering how bad everything is he doesn't actually he accomplishes something for sure but he doesn't change anything necessarily and everyone keeps telling him you're just delaying the inevitable but he does it anyway and he feels good that he did it because he's like, well, I tried, I did my part. And I'm like, that is a really powerful message to a bunch of people living through like the, you know, the sixth extinction event on actual earth. Yeah. So it's like, that's a, that's a powerful message and that's cool. But someone else could look at it and see something quite different, you know, which I think is interesting. I think that's cool. Yeah. It's like, is it futile mm-hmm. you know, to, to try <laughs> yeah i i think yeah and the game is about kind of trying yeah i i when i played it even the first time i played it i was like it was pretty much uh, a kind of like grind i would go to work i'd get back i'd play the game the game is like doing like a monotonous job yeah uh sure. and it it feels but it feels good in a weird way, which most, you know, monotonous jobs do not feel good. You do not feel like you're saving the world. Right. By, you don't feel like you're bringing people together. You don't feel any of that shit, but um, the world, it, it was like, you know, beautiful and you're, you do feel like you're connecting people. So it was like this nice message. I guess the ending, um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the ending. The There's like certain things that did kind of get lost in the sauce for me. Uh, with the plot because one thing that I like looked up afterwards or just to confirm like what I had thought was the fact that uh, he was the first bridge baby and him being brought Sam was the first bridge baby and him being brought back uh, from the dead or like um, being brought back over the seam or repatriating or whatever caused the death stranding apparently that's that's at least that's what I think and um or what i read yeah and and then the other fact is that the the other bridge babies they literally like sacrificed them to create the the internet <laughs> like yeah. the the chiral yeah. the chiral interface or whatever and uh that is insane to me cuz it's like i don't know it just seems like this like 
like what's the most evil thing that a, a government could do in right. order to like develop a new technology is like sacrifice children Babies. yeah, yeah. it's like goes to like all the QAnon like type almost <laughs> like QAnon theory shit well dude well that's even interesting though is like I mean when you look back at a lot of Kojima's work it's like creepy uncle shit from the 90s which has now <laughs> evolved into QAnon like the people now okay like now everybody knows about this shit because of QAnon but like some of us know from decades past that it's like this shit has always been around and I remember playing like Metal Gear Solid 2 and being like this is some fucking wasted uncle shit we're like <laughs> You know about the Pentagon? <laughs> you know you know how the CIA started. You know, it's just like that shit's been around and he's he's way into it. I don't maybe it's just aesthetics or it's probably just aesthetics, but like he loves it, dude. Like Yeah. I mean it's funny it, I it's funny having like a outsider perspective like dealing with like American issues and shit. Or or like speaking on like America's like place in the world. Um because he is using all these like metaphors you know it's like right. it's cypher but it's the cia it's right. like this but it's this and and yeah mgs2 it's like the patriots you know it's yeah. like the illuminati it is really that like kind of cue shit and i feel like at some point I, i'll have to fact check this but i feel like at some point they reference like the bilderberg group in that game yeah which is like the old like racist Illuminati conspiracy that there's like a little like cadre of people who run the world. It's like anti-Semitic, but oh, it, it, they like meet like they yeah. have meetings and yeah. it's like this cabal. Uh-huh. That's the Bilderberg group, right? Yeah. Okay. And it's like, but see, the the funny thing about this stuff is that a lot. I mean, a lot of this stuff used to just exist in the ether. So like, I I heard about this stuff. I didn't know anything about like it being racist or anti-Semitic or whatever. And then later you find out like, oh, it totally is. And then once again, that's how it's evolved into QAnon. It's because someone's like, you know, those Jews run the world. And then now that evolves into like whatever the whole Q thing is. Like, God knows what the fuck that is. Yeah. I mean, isn't that like a timeless kind of meme is that there's just people in power that are, you know, a a shadowy group in power. Right. But you're right. The most common variant of that is, uh, you know, the Jews are going to have taken over the world and are pulling the strings. I mean, that's that's the most common variant of that. And And it's ironic because it's sort of like bait i would assume it's based on the places in the real world that are operated that way and there are places that are very anti-semitic like you look at places like saudi arabia or like russia or something where it's like the jews don't run saudi arabia (laughs) okay (laughs) you know but it's like those are the places where like five guys fucking run the whole like shit you know what i mean and then like american conspiracy theories are like i think that's happening here and nobody knows you know yeah but it's just crazy to see how that has like evolved over time, like into you know the landscape we have now. But he he definitely Kojima loves that shit, and yeah. so like I think like the bridge baby thing in Death Stranding was definitely the most incoherent thing in the game. Like what you're talking about at the end, where they kind of tried, where it's like Sam's a bridge baby, is like is BB him? I had that same thought. I right? yeah. When I was playing the game, I thought that there was some sort of not not time travel but some sort of like weird like time uh shift or some element of that where i thought he was i thought he was 
carrying BB, who was him. Or like a clone of him. Right. Because That's what like I thought. the flashbacks were him getting shot, and I I, I thought there was uh, some weird element of he was had a, a small version of himself. He was like being like the father like to himself that he didn't have with Cliff or something like that. And I, I had that thought and then the, the game was like, no. And I was like, the, it was the one time where Kojima didn't go as far as I was like <laughs> projecting onto him. I was uh-huh. like, oh, obviously this is crazy. The other, the other time was, uh, did you have, did you expect to go to the moon in that game? What? So, <laughs> wait. And so, in the in the flashbacks with Cliff and the BB, he uh, he says something like, um, "You can go anywhere you want someday." Yeah. Uh, you, you can even go to the moon, and he shows him like a picture in a picture book of the moon, and I thought for sure that we were going to the fucking moon. I was like, "There's gonna be an a- epilogue where, where I'm g- like, well, I'm." <laughs> Because, you know, we got the uh, the oxygen mask. Uh-huh. Once I got the oxygen mask, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm we're going, going we're going to the moon. <laughs> we're, we're going to the moon, baby. <laughs> straight to the moon. Shoot for the stars, land <laughs> yeah. on the moon. And I was convinced. And, and then the game fucking ends. And God. I was so disappointed. And, like, that's that's on me. That's solely yeah. on me. But um, I was convinced we were going to the moon. That's so funny, dude. How awesome would that be? Just, like like little shelters on the moon you're like uh you're zero gravity and you're like bouncing around like That'd be sick. packages and shit oh my god i'd love that that's, that's Randy 2 when take me to the moon <laughs> <laughs>